Well, good morning, everyone. Since it's back to school time, I thought it would be fun to start our time together with a quiz, a surprise quiz. Aren't surprise quizzes fun? Didn't you like that in school when your teacher said, oh, we've got a quiz that you didn't know about? So this is just a short quiz, two questions, very simple. Question one, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? If you had to define the term Christian, how would you define it? Then question number two, what does the Christian life look like? What might you say or include? So let's go back to question one. What is a Christian? Well, here's a couple of dictionary definitions. The first one is a Christian is a person who has received a Christian baptism or is a believer in Christianity. Or another says a Christian is a person who believes in Jesus Christ and follows his teachings. I also came across a definition on Compassion International's website which states a Christian is someone whose behavior and heart reflects Jesus Christ. And I think that's the best definition I found so far. A Christian is someone whose behavior and heart reflects Jesus Christ. So question number two then is, what does the Christian life look like? The phrase Christian life is not found in the Bible. Therefore, we need to look for other words that help us understand the nature of the Christian life. So Christians are called saints or set-apart ones, which means that the Christian life will include this pursuit of holiness, for that's what holiness means, to be set apart. Christians are also known as disciples of Jesus, and a disciple was someone who followed a teacher and imitated the teacher's life. So a Christian disciple follows Jesus and imitates his life. And we find activities that Christians do in the New Testament. These include baptizing, teaching, ministries of mercy, prayer, and fellowship with others. So an authentic Christian is someone who takes walking with God seriously and desires to follow Jesus. Which means that a Christian is much more than someone who was baptized at some point, although baptism is important. A Christian devotes their life to walking with God and following Jesus. And friends, if you have tried to live like that, you know that the Christian life is hard. It is a high calling. So is it reserved for the few, the super spiritual, the elite Christians only? Or is it possible for any Christ follower to live out this high calling? Is it possible for Christians who are broken, beaten down by life, and barely coping to still live the Christian life? Because the last thing some of you need to hear today is that you must try harder. You must do more. And I have prayed that this message will not come across that way. It's not about trying harder or doing more. 
It's about a key ingredient necessary to mix into our lives, whatever is going on. And so that's what we're going to discuss today in the first message on the Abide in Christ series. We're going to the Gospel of John, where Jesus is teaching at the Last Supper, and today we will see the critical ingredient necessary to live the Christian life, regardless of what is going on in your life. You and I cannot live Christianly without this ingredient. However, if we have it, anyone can receive power to live the Christian life each day. And after this passage identifies the ingredient, we're going to talk about a way to mix it into our lives. And I pray that God will use this time today to both encourage and inspire you to live the empowered Christian life. So our text is John 15. It's page 763 in the Bibles that we have in front of you. It's on the bottom right of the page there. John 15, verses 1 to 11. And this is Jesus talking at the Last Supper to his disciples. So John 15, verses 1 to 11. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his law, love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So Jesus is speaking to the disciples a few hours before he is arrested. And these are some of the last words that he will speak to them before he physically departs from them. He uses, he, he uses language that hyperlinks back to significant Old Testament concepts. And Jewish disciples and readers would immediately pick up on the language that Jesus is using. So first of all, he says, I am. Notice how the phrase or the passage begins with that phrase, I am. And this is the seventh I am statement in the Gospel of John. And you might have heard some of these before. Earlier, Jesus has said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. 
I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now he says, I am the vine or the true vine. Well, what's so important about the phrase, I am? Well, back in the Old Testament, Moses met God at the burning bush and God commissioned Moses to go and be the deliverer for his, his people, the Israelites, in slavery in Egypt. And Moses asks God for his name. By what name shall I call you to tell the people who has sent me? And the Lord answered, my name is I am who I am. So when Jesus uses the phrase, I am, a Jewish reader is immediately going to pick up that this is a claim to divinity or godness, that he is God. And then Jesus says, I am the true vine, which is kind of a strange phrase, isn't it? If you look at the plants in your yard or on your windowsill, do you look at them and say, this is a true plant and that's a false plant? No. So what does he mean here? Well, the image of the vineyard or vine was critical in Israel's history. God called the Israelites to be his vine, his true vine or faithful vine. They were supposed to be the people through whom the good news from God and his kingdom would come to the world. But they failed in this calling. They failed to remain faithful to him. And there are passages in the Old Testament that talk about this. You can turn back with me to Isaiah 5 if you would like, or just listen to Isaiah 5, verses one to seven, which talks about Israel failing as God's vine or vineyard. So Isaiah is speaking here and he says, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it and he looked for it to yield grapes. But it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. But he looked, the Lord looked for justice and found bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. And so Israel failed as the Lord's true vine. 
Instead of producing good groups, good grapes, it produced wild grapes. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's fulfilling the Father's purpose. He's going to be the true vine who brings and delivers the good news of God's kingdom. And he also states in verse 1 that the Father is the vine dresser or gardener. So the image is, Jesus is the vine, the Father is the one that trims the vine or looks after it, and then in verse 2 he talks about the branches. Now the branches are people. It symbolizes people who seem to be connected to the vine or Jesus. And in verse 2, Jesus describes what the Father does to the branches. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the Father takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So Jesus emphasizes the importance of fruit bearing or good grapes using Isaiah 5 language. This critical factor determines what the Father will do with a branch. Those that bear no fruit are taken away, which is a relatively common practice in looking after plants. Non-bearing fruit branches are removed, and good branches are pruned so that they will produce more fruit. Now, another translation for the word prune is clean. And in verse 3, Jesus addresses the disciples saying, you are already clean, because of the word I have spoken to you. So when a disciple of Jesus both hears and heeds or acts on God's word, it does a pruning and cleaning work in their life. But then we come to the critical verses of this passage for our purposes today. And those are verses 4 and 5. Here we find the ingredient necessary to live the Christian life wherever you are at today. So verse 4 again. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what is the key? ingredient necessary to live the Christian life, or to put it another way, who can live the Christian life? It is anyone who remains constantly connected to Christ. The critical ingredient necessary to live the Christian life is to abide in Christ, remain in Christ, stay with Christ. And the word abide or remain occurs 11 times in this passage. It means to remain where one is at. So abiding or remaining or staying in close connection with Jesus involves a vital life-giving connection to Christ. It's like Jesus is the source of our power and we have to remain plugged in to him. Jesus is the true vine through whom we can find strength to live the Christian life. But we must remain or stay closely connected to him to receive that power. And in just a moment, we're going to talk about a practical way to abide or remain connected to Christ. But you might be wondering or honestly thinking, is it really that important isn't like conversion and baptism kind of enough? And I think of the disciples 
who were so confident in their own ability to rule and reign beside Christ. Yet in just a few hours, they will come to the end of themselves and realize their desperate need for him. And Jesus anticipates this. So he lists several benefits for them if they remain in close connection with him. And we find the first benefit in verse 5 again, in the latter part where he says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So benefit one of abiding in Christ is we bear fruit for the kingdom of God. By remaining committed to Christ, we are empowered to bear fruit for the kingdom. So remember the problem with Israel in Isaiah 5? The Lord looked for good grapes and they produced bad fruit or wild grapes. And they may not have originally intended to do that. But their lack of connection to God resulted in drifting away and ultimately producing wild grapes. And Jesus warns us about this possibility at the end of verse 5, where he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I have wondered about that phrase throughout my Christian life. Because there are billions of people in this world who are not connected to Christ who do all sorts of things. So, Jesus must be referring to this fruit bearing in the kingdom. When we depend on Christ, we can minister and live in ways that honor and glorify him. Now, we might think fruit bearing. What is fruit bearing anyway? We might think, oh, well, that means you've got to serve in ministry at a church. And yes, that is one example of bearing fruit in the kingdom. But fruit bearing happens in everyday life. Fruit bearing is treating our spouses and families in ways that Jesus commands in Scripture. Fruit bearing is doing our jobs to the glory of God. Fruit bearing is resisting the pressures of the world and the assaults of the evil one when we're connected to Jesus. But apart from him, we cannot. We can do nothing of lasting eternal value. So staying close to Christ brings the benefit of bearing fruit. It benefits us, and it benefits others around us, and it glorifies God. Then in verse 6, Jesus goes back to talking about the branch that does not produce fruit. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. That's kind of a harsh verse, isn't it? seems like God the Father is just waiting for someone to wander away from Christ for a while and then he's going to cut them off and cast them out. But I don't think that's the main thrust of this verse. I think it's more about the fact that a branch looked like it was connected to the vine and it wasn't. It wasn't. A person seemed connected to him, but they weren't. They didn't believe. And this was revealed by the lack of fruit in their life. And here we have to step back and consider the context. It is the Last Supper. And just two chapters earlier, something major has just happened in John 13. 
In verse 21, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And so the disciples ask, well, who? Who is it among us? And in verse 26, Jesus says, it's the one I'm going to give this morsel of bread to after I dip it. And he dips the bread and he gives the morsel to Judas. And after Judas takes the bread, Satan enters into him, according to verse 27. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. But then listen to John 13, 28. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Why Jesus said this to Judas. So it's not like the 11 disciples were sitting there, oh yes, of course it was Judas. So obvious. They thought he was one of them. They thought he was a branch connected to the vine. He looked like it. He had seen the miracles. He'd walked with Jesus through all those years. But he did not believe. He was not connected. And friends, please heed this warning. If you're comfortable keeping Jesus at a distance, your soul might be in danger. But then in verse 7, Jesus returns to the benefits of abiding in him. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So here's another benefit of abiding in Christ. Number two, our prayers will more likely align with Jesus' will. So benefit two, our prayers will more likely align with Jesus' will. Jesus' words here sound like an automatic guarantee to get whatever we want, don't they? Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But notice the condition on the request. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. So the closer we are to Christ, the more aligned we become to his purposes and his will. And this will affect our prayers. Notice I didn't make this benefit or write it out as our prayers will certainly align with Jesus' will. For in my 50 years plus of walking with Christ, there are times I still pray and I certainly don't align with Jesus' will. I pray selfishly, I pray fearfully, yet when I spend time with the Lord, it increases the likelihood that my prayers will align more with his will. So please don't read verse 7 and think this is a magic bullet or a 100% guarantee that if you just spend a little time with Jesus, you can get whatever you want in life. It is a process of getting to know Christ and learning his ways and love that will gradually affect our prayers. Another benefit is found in verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So there's fruit bearing again. But notice what fruit bearing does. It, it proves that you're truly a disciple, but it glorifies God the Father. So benefit three, we will bear fruit and glorify the Father. And the question is, how does glorifying the Father be benefit us? Well, do you ever wonder why God created humanity? What's the purpose for life? And you might have heard these words before, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
And that's our ultimate life purpose. And if you're looking for purpose in your life, here it is. Glorify the Father in whatever life circumstances you're in right now. And I think of, for example, moms with young kids who are home with them and a lot of the time no one sees what you do. And you have moments of joy and happiness and other times you deal with messes and diapers and irrational little humans and it can seem like a thankless and purposeless time that you just have to get over with, get them into school so I can have my life back. But what if you started your day by praying, Lord Jesus, please empower me to glorify the Father in whatever comes today. I offer this day to you. And then when you change a diaper, that is, that's for the good and for the health of the child. You're doing God-glorifying work. Or when you bear with an overwhelmed, irrational toddler, you are glorifying God as you try to figure out what's best for them. Or as you expend your physical and emotional energy for these little lives, you are glorifying God by caring for them. For that's what God does for us. The main purpose for humans is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And when we stay close to Christ, we're empowered to live that out. We can glorify the Father when we care for an elderly parent or looking after someone with special needs. We can glorify the Father in our work or our studies. We can glorify Him in the way we treat our family members or our church family. We can glorify God by participating in ministry here at the church or in the community. Anything we do can be injected with deep eternal purpose when we choose to glorify God in it by the power of Christ. And Jesus will list more benefits of abiding in him as the passage continues. Don't have time to go into them today. Verse 10 ta just talks about living in God's love is another benefit. Verse 11 talks about experiencing the full joy of Jesus. But the main point I want you to take home with you today is simply this. With con constant connection to Jesus Christ, we are empowered to live the Christian life. With constant connection to Jesus Christ, we are empowered to live the Christian life. Well, the next question is, how? How do you go about abiding or remaining in Jesus? And one important practice is something called personal devotions. This is a tool that can help us regularly abide or remain in Christ. And on the back of your bulletin, if you have one, you will see the ingredients necessary for personal devotions or personal time with the Lord and a format for what to do during that time. And these come from the Abide in Christ material that we are going through as a church family. So what are the ingredients necessary for personal devotions or time with the Lord? First, you need a Bible. A good Bible for reading and memorization. If you're a new believer, I would recommend the New Living Translation. It will give you an overall picture of what's going on in very readable language. Or the New International Version, or the English Standard Version, or the New King James Version are all good translations of the Bible. New American Standard as well. Some of them are done in a way so that the, that the language flows. Others are done in a way so that you get all the words that are in the original and can understand a little bit more, maybe, of what the author is getting at. 
And some of you might have study Bibles, or I'd encourage you to get a study Bible. The only caution that I would give about study Bibles is to remember, the Bible is the thing that is inspired, not the study notes. So every study note is written by a person with a particular interpretation, but those can be helpful. So you need a Bible. Number two, they recommend a paper or digital notebook to respond, to write down, to say out loud that which you've heard or read. And we increase our learning, remembrance, and resolve when we externalize something by speaking it or by writing it down. Third ingredient, a personal prayer list, which will include situations or needs that you want to bring to the Lord about yourself, family, friends, and others. Number four, a quiet place somewhere. If you're going to take time for God, make space for God in your life. Try not to do them with some screen playing in front of you or people talking. And a quiet place can be a chair, a car, a bus seat, a park bench. Number five, a specific time during the day can help. And here we're asking or suggesting that you integrate personal devotions into your daily schedule, not add something new, but carve out that time. Time with Jesus in your schedule. And then number six, the sixth ingredient, is an expectant spirit. And you ask yourself, is my heart open to tell Jesus all that's on it? Is my heart open to hear what Jesus wants to say? Or am I only trying to rush through this? So those are the ingredients. Well, what do you actually do then? First, pray. And just share your heart with God and your expectancy to meet with him. Second, read or listen to a passage of scripture. And if you don't know where to start, read one of the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Third, third, or number three, write down or note one thing from the passage that spoke to you. Because that can be God speaking to you in that very moment. Fourth, respond in prayer to whatever stood out to you. Maybe a passage on joy found in the Lord and you respond, Lord, thank you for the possibility of joy in you. Help me to discover it more. And then lastly, go into prayer confessing your sin, thanking him for forgiveness, and bringing your prayer list before the Lord. And Christians throughout history have engaged in variations of this practice to facilitate ongoing connection to Christ. And if you're using the Abide material, it provides a daily guide to help you in this. But remember, the most important thing is not getting through the material. The most important thing is to connect with Jesus. For without constant connection to Jesus Christ, we cannot live the Christian life. But with constant connection to Jesus, we're empowered to live the Christian life. For he paid the ultimate price for us to experience this. Without Christ's death, we could not experience connection to him. Yet when we trust our lives to him, we're reconciled to him, we're rescued from the domain of darkness, we can receive power to live lives that are dead to sin, alive to Christ, and alive to all that he has for, it, for us. And we will become more like the compassion definition of a Christian, someone whose heart and behavior reflects Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, as we come to you, We can make the Christian life a bunch of rules that are burdensome to follow. 
doing a few external things with no internal heart change. Something that we don't even really need to be concerned with because we got baptized or we prayed a prayer 25 years ago and we're good with God. But Lord, we need this intimate, constant connection with you. And so I pray, Lord, that you'll help us wherever we're at in life today to not think, oh, I've got to do, add another course to my schedule. I've got to make a... No. I need to abide to connect with you, Lord. And the enemy does not want us to do this. And the enemy right now might even be flooding our minds with all kinds of reasons or excuses that we can't do anything more than we are. And in Jesus' name, I pray against that. And help us to see that you are good and that in you is life and that you can refresh and renew us much more deeply than an hour scrolling on our phone.